in westernized countries and specifically in the United States of America, your child has a 0.0001% chance of being abducted, but almost a 92% chance of being groomed over the internet. To put that in language that people would understand a little bit better, your child has roughly the same chance of being struck by lightning as they do experiencing the narrative of a movie like The Sound of Freedom. However, they have a 92% chance of being contacted by some type of societal predator online just through social media apps, gaming apps, things like that, through the chat features, and then groomed over a period of months to years, and then actually participating in their own abduction and like running away to a human trafficker. Better than Rich So listener, this is a ridiculous episode with Nick McKinley. He is a two-time tech entrepreneur who's pioneered scalable tech solutions aimed at protecting society from child predators. Essentially, what we talk about in this conversation is everything on how to fight human trafficking on a local level and what you can do. He even gives a phrase that you can go to your local politician and ask him how they're fighting this. Some people claim that Nick is the real Jack Ryan. We go into a little bit of his military background as a, in special ops and Air Force pararescuemen, CIA operative on the Bin Laden case. Uh, he has founded two multi-million dollar tech companies. He's a Harvard graduate. This guy is super, super impressive. He is the founder of a service called Deliver Fund. This process of what he's doing of generating data and education and intelligence to help local enforcement and politicians is pretty wild. Like you could put any phone number or email address into the technology and it could tell you if it's been featured in the past on any type of sex trafficking or human trafficking or predatorial type of sites and just really interesting, fascinating work that this man is doing. Get ready for another great episode of the Better Than Rich Show with Nick McKinley. Welcome to The Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I am your host today, Mike Abramowitz, and we are here with Nick McKinley. And as I just mentioned in our a brief introduction, this is going to be a really stimulating conversation. So Nick, welcome to the Better Than Rich podcast, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nick, the closest we've had on our podcast was with Eric Hatch. And for listeners of the show, that conversation was super impactful for them because he essentially leveraged his business as a vehicle to fight human trafficking. At that time, I was coming off of watching The Sound of Freedom. I was coming off of listening to a lot of podcasts around what was happening behind the scenes with Tim Ballard on all these different podcasts like Jordan Peterson's podcast and Tony Robbins podcast. So it was really timely when we had that conversation and released the episode. And since that conversation, there has been this heaviness in my heart when I am taking my son out where I didn't feel the heaviness that I've felt before. And I am just interested as to what you do to fight this. And I'm bringing you to our listener is just one of the best gifts that we can give to our audience right now. So again, Nick, we're excited to have you here. I want to just dive right in. First and foremost, is it a valid assumption that you've seen the movie, The Sound of Freedom? 
I have not seen the movie The Sound of Freedom. Okay. <laughs> Let's start there. Why? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it would be like somebody who sells insurance for a living going and then watching a movie about somebody who sells insurance for a living, right? It's not really where I want to spend my time. I'm also not really a big movie person, despite some pretty significant Hollywood connections. I actually didn't even own a TV until COVID for all of my adult life. So I hadn't seen it. Also, I'm relatively familiar with the narrative of the movie, though. And what's interesting about the movie is when you look at the narrative of a child being abducted, if you live in Guatemala or Colombia, some type of... Some some third world or developing world country, that is a very relevant narrative to you as a parent. However, in westernized countries and specifically in the United States of America, your child has a 0.0001% chance of being abducted, but almost a 92% chance of being groomed over the internet. To put that in language that people would understand a little bit better, your child has roughly the same chance of being struck by lightning as they do experiencing the narrative of a movie like The Sound of Freedom. However, they have a 92% chance of being contacted by some type of societal predator online just through social media apps, gaming apps, things like that, through the chat features, and then groomed over a period of months to years, and then actually participating in their own abduction and like running away to a human trafficker. I think that's probably another reason why I'm not interested in spending my time there. I love that response. And it makes your it makes your bio that much more interesting to, to read. It also <laughs> makes this conversation even more fascinating for me. The root of us even having this conversation conversation. I was in San Antonio. I was on a walk with Matt Drinkon at a Front Row Dad retreat. And we were talking about this topic, the human trafficking and whatnot. He said, have I introduced you to Nick McKinley yet? I said, no, I don't know the name. He said, this might be one of the most impressive dudes between oh. Harvard graduate and what you've done with your multi-million dollar tech companies and this all the success you've seen. But this idea of the app of Deliver Fund, I want to get into, of course. Okay. But one of the things that I was talking about with Matt and that he shared with me, he said, why what we do as parents, as fathers of our home and to raise our kids in the way is to create the safe environment. They would be more susceptible to come to us than to this friend or this video gamer or someone on social media or, or on the internet. So it's like, how do we create the environment where our kids are willing to confide in us, whatever it is that they would share to mm -hmm. their friends in the social media environment? Because that's where he was saying like, dude, Nick talked about these predators and how they pray and they have this certain profile. And then these kids say, oh, they're friends with them. Let's meet up. And then they eventually meet up. It's, oh, wow, you're so beautiful. Your profile picture looks amazing. It seems like it's predominantly girls that have mm -hmm. these insecurity issues. And then these predators prey on how beautiful they are in their profiles. And then it's let's meet up. And then they meet up. And it's, who knows what the other end of that story ends up being. In fact, we could probably talk about that. You probably know more than anyone. But it was such an interesting conversation. And now that I have you in front of me, I would like to continue that conversation that I had with Matt of what's the so what of that? What's the so what? A, are you trying to help parents be better parents to raise those kids in a better environment? B, are you trying to create awareness so that way the kids or the adolescents are understanding what's out there or see something else? What is the initiative? What is the motive around this mission that you're on? Because it is something that is necessary. And I'd love to go in whatever direction fit with that context. 
The mission is very simple. It's to disrupt human trafficking and human trafficking markets and to apply technology and expertise in doing that. I wrote the mission state and vision statement for Deliver Fund back in 2013. And here we are 10 years later, it remains true. And I wrote that in a shipping container that I was living in Lashkarga, Afghanistan. And it hasn't changed because regardless of the way that technology changes, the way that illicit commodity markets work don't change and haven't changed for millennia. How people connect with each other, how the process happens has changed. It's obviously gotten a lot faster with internet technologies, but how it works, the actual nuts and bolts of how illicit commodities are sold, for the most part, hasn't really changed from a conceptual point of view. So when you look at human trafficking, we tend to really focus on victims, which is important. We want to make sure that victims are serviced properly. However, you cannot have a victim of human trafficking if you do not have a human trafficker. So we should be spending significantly more time and money and energy actually fighting the human trafficker because the best form of human trafficking prevention is to make sure that there is no human trafficker, right? The best way to make sure that you don't just need more and more beds and restoration homes is to make sure there is no human trafficker to create more and more victims. And so that's where we really focus. And part of disrupting the human trafficking market is educating and really providing parents with the information that they need, fathers with the information they need. If you don't know what to look for, then you're not forearmed against that. A guy that I got some training from when I was in military special ops as an Air Force pararescueman was a guy named David Grossman. He was a colonel in the army and he wrote a book called On Killing. And he would always say that forewarned is forearmed. And that's the truth when it comes to gang the trafficking of our children and is not just daughters. It's primarily women and girls, but it also does apply to young boys. There's plenty of people who would like to traffic and do traffic young boys as well. For us, it's giving parents the, the intelligence that they need so that they can make intelligent decisions about what the real threats to their family are. Because if a father is looking, scouting his neighborhood for the white van with free candy painted on the side and thinks that that's the threat to his child. Meanwhile, his child is making a TikTok video about how she's mad at him because he wouldn't let her wear a miniskirt to school at, right underneath his own roof. And that human trafficker is communicating, grooming, manipulating, and getting her to make decisions that she'll regret and will potentially be life-changing. It's a great response because what the feeling I was having on my heart after watching The Sound of Freedom was I was pushing my son, he's a toddler and a stroller, and I was like, oh my gosh, if someone came hit me upside the head and stole my son and put him into one of these pedophile rings and turning him over three, four, five, six, eight times in a day. And I didn't do anything about it because someone hurt me and then took him from me. And I have no way. And I go through this whole like taken Liam Neeson model <laughs> in my head. And I'm like, instills this awareness that I didn't quite have before. Mm -hmm. Because I shared this in the Eric Hatch episode that my disillusionment was when someone got kidnapped, they just went to a home of other parents who couldn't have kids. That was my innocent disillusionment. There was no like sex and beatings yeah. and violence and all the bullshit that these, you can't even call them people do to these innocent kids. 
none of that existed until I got exposed recently in the very near future to this. And now it became real for me. Now mm -hmm. that we just recently had a daughter and our son, that we have two under three right now, it's like with a heavy heart. So I want to just come back to what you said about if the young girl is in the roof of with father, dad says you can't wear the miniskirt. So she makes a TikTok video and she's all upset with dad. If I'm understanding the backstory here, the predator has some sort of AI or some sort of algorithm, some sort of search, or they're on their internet searching for these types of people, look tags or posts or whatever, and they're then engaging as soon as this pops up for them. And then they're mm -hmm. like, let me, then there's like this courtship approach that they're taking as an adult, or are they posing themselves as a child that's the same age as the girl posting the TikTok video? So it can be both. And okay. usually if they're going after a girl, they'll pretend like they're a slightly older boy. If they're a boy, they'll pretend like they're usually around the same age, or maybe they'll pretend like they are a slightly older girl or a, a kind of a promiscuous girl, right? Something to get the boy's attention. But one of the things that we need to keep in mind as parents is, again, what the real threat is. And the real threat is not abduction. It's not that doesn't happen. And it's not that we don't need to be prepared against that. But look at it this way. It'd be like as a parent doing all kinds of things to think that you were going to keep your kid from getting some type of tragic childhood cancer and just letting them eat 2000 grams of sugar every day. And then one and then being like, Oh, my gosh, they became a diabetic. I had no idea. So there are issues that we can look at, and we can look at the data and say, all right, what is the biggest threat to our children? And the biggest threat to our children is hands down the internet. And we're not just talking about human trafficking. That's obviously mental health issues, especially for females, body image issues, lots of things that come with the internet. So you've got two under three. So the internet, I'm guessing that your children probably do not have their own devices that are connected to the internet and they're probably not making TikTok videos. But I also have young children, so mine are also not in the same space, but that's coming down the road. And we very much tend to over-exaggerate the, the sophistication of human traffickers. And I see this a lot. And People fear-mongering, trying to make it seem as if human traffickers are these highly sophisticated people, and they're not. They're not as sophisticated, for the most part, as narco-traffickers or weapons proliferators. What they are is really sick, uh, I believe, demonic human beings, because what other explanation is there for somebody who's willing to harm children in that way, in any way? But they don't need algorithms. They don't need any of these things because the social media platforms do it for them. So all they have to do is connect with one, say, 14-year-old girl, and then the algorithms will say, oh, if you know this girl, you might also know these other 14-year-old girls, connect, connect. And now you might also know these 14-year-old girls, connect, connect. So if you think about it, like you go to LinkedIn and you try to drive the algorithm to help you get in front of the right people that you're going to sell something to. Let's say you sell a marketing tech product and you need to get in front of chief marketing officers. So you start connecting with chief marketing officers that you know, and very quickly, the LinkedIn algorithm will start giving other people that you might know, and they all are chief marketing officers and they all become sales prospects. The exact same thing happens with human traffickers targeting 
young girls online. The barrier to entry to human trafficking is extremely low. They don't need to do all these very sophisticated things. And there's one more piece that people seem to be a little bit, I think, mesmerized by, which is this concept of like human trafficking rings and pedophilia and, and child trafficking rings. And for the most part, that doesn't really exist. What it is, it's essentially a bunch of really sick people who know each other. That's not an organized ring. What it is, it's people who are trading, say, child pornography issue or or content or they're trading different, maybe trafficking victims or things like that. It's morphed into this, what I like to call loose affiliation of like minds, which is very much what we saw overseas in the fight against terrorism. Everybody tended to make these terrorists, these boogeymen that were all powerful and super scary. And I can tell you after 30 combat deployments, these terrorists are not impressive people. They tend to be very tiny for the most part. They're pretty small. The men are pretty weak and not very intelligent. And there's a lot of mental illness, especially the Islamo-fascist terrorist organizations. They're not these kind of all-powerful boogeymen. They're, quite frankly, pretty sad. And it's the same thing when it comes to child traffickers and human traffickers. These are not impressive people. These are not really that scary people. What there is this massive power differential in that they are adults with resources and sometimes a lot of resources, but usually not. And they prey upon children. So you don't have to be this super scary boogeyman abducting children out from underneath the nose of parents at a Walmart if all you're doing is preying on children online and you can manipulate them to do all the dirty work for you. Quick question underneath this umbrella, and then I'd like to go deeper on a couple of topics. So the first mm-hmm. like initial curiosity is, when you say a child predator, is that the same as someone who's consuming the material? like? someone who consumes child pornography compared to someone who is pursuing this child and predatory, like trying to engage this individual. Are we talking about the same person here? Because the person who's consuming it is also paying to play, if you will. I'm assuming we want to interrupt them or be a disruptor. When you said disruptor for predators, is it Mm -hmm. the consumer of that material? Is it the person who's pursuing? Is it who are we talking about here? Maybe it's yes to all. Yeah, all of the above. In my mind, anybody who is consuming, especially child sexual exploitative material, excuse me, and somebody who is actually hands-on offending with a child, in my mind, they're the same person. And somebody who maybe isn't hands-on offending yet will eventually. And so that's why I tend to loop them all into one overarching umbrella that I just call societal predator Uh, because they are all predators, whether they are trafficking an adult female, say over the age of 18 or a young female, they're all predators. And I think one of the problems that we get into with different organizations that fight human trafficking is they get really wrapped up around language and what these different things mean. Oh, a child predator is not the same thing as a human trafficker. Under the law, they're absolutely right. That's very true. Who cares? Let's create a black box of methodology that disrupts them all. 
-hmm. And who cares if one is technically under the law, we call them a child predator and the other is a human trafficker. I have a hard time believing that any human trafficker who's willing to exploit an 18 year old girl is not also willing to exploit a 16 or a 14 year old girl. Ergo, they might be a human trafficker, but if they're exploiting somebody underage, they're also a child predator. And all human traffickers are predators because they are preying upon the weaknesses and vulnerability of other people. And that's why it's so important to your point of the front row dads that you were having the conversation with. It's so important for dads to be strong dads, especially in the lives of their daughters, because if they're not, then those daughters will go elsewhere and look for that. There is several different directions, Nick, that I want to get into here because I want to get into your background a little bit because your resume is super impressive. And I also want to get into some government stuff, frankly, because there are things that are not tolerated and not allowed, but then Mm -hmm. there's other things that sometimes it's, yeah, we'll look the other way on this. Mm -hmm. And example, cigarette smoking. Mm -hmm. We know cigarette smoking kills people, right? But yet there's a lot of money behind it. So therefore let's still let them do whatever they're doing, even though it kills a lot of people like as a gross example. And then we take another gross exaggeration of the education system where it's so clearly broken and it's not working, but yet we're not going to really spend a lot of money and dollars trying to fix this broken system. They're just going to leave that over here. Let's bring problems like the war in Ukraine, that's what really needs our attention. Let's bring these other things. And not that those aren't real issues, but it's almost like there's agendas from above of letting the society and the people of the public to know these are the things that are most important for our attention and our resources. And this doesn't seem to be one of them that, again, you're the expert. This is what Matt and I were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'd really love to hear you just riff on Anything from that context of the protection of us, the government, supposedly, just spend more resources on this with your background. And if you could speak to maybe your background and briefly said, oh, I just did 30 overseas combats, like it's no big deal. You've demonstrated tremendous courage in your past and bringing that into the present. So go in whatever direction you feel fit under that rant there. Thanks for that. And I think that there's some very important context when we discuss our really our government and our political system. Our political system and our government's the best in the world. Lived in over 14 different countries. Anybody who thinks that other countries have it better are not very well traveled. Or do other countries have certain things that are better that we as Americans could learn from? Sure. But find me another country in the world with the same land area that we have to deal with, with the same population that we have to deal with, with the same population mixing pot and cultural mixing pot that we have to deal with, who does a better job? You won't find one. It doesn't exist. So it's not that the United States of America is really that good. It's just that everybody else is that bad. The second thing would be our political system is set up in such a way so that Politicians are incentivized to do the thing that we demand of them. And we being the voter, we being the mom, the dad, the school teacher, the police officer, the firefighter, the hedge fund billionaire, right? Those are the things that we demand of them. So when you look at the United States government, we have a department, a bureau of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, right? Now, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms are all legal. One of them is constitutionally protected. And yet we spend billions of dollars a year fighting what is the illicit sale of legal commodities. 
We have a drug enforcement agency. 90% of drugs are legal. And we spend double digit billions of dollars a year fighting the war on drugs, which I'll tell you is not going very well, uh, hasn't been going very well since the 80s. And yet we spend all of this money fighting what is the illicit sale of these legal commodities. And fentanyl just continues to kill people in droves. Yet fentanyl is a legal drug. So 100% of human slavery is illegal per the 13th Amendment and a million other laws on the books. And where is our counter human trafficking agency? We don't have one. And the reason we don't have one is because we haven't demanded one, we being the voters. So politicians are tools. Politicians are there to fix problems that we ask them to fix. And when they don't do a very good job, we'd like to think we usually vote them out and put in new ones. And we always look to the federal government. But if you go back to the founding of our country, our country was not founded to be a overarching, all-powerful, centralized, basically autocracy. It was founded to put the power in the hands of the states. And so that's where everybody needs to focus. People, everybody listening needs to stop expecting some senator or congressman to put forward some type of federal bill that's going to solve this human trafficking issue. It's not going to happen. Our, our federal government on both sides of the aisle are so absolutely corrupt and broken that now it's just whoever can bang the gong the loudest is the one who gets the most emotional fervor because nobody wants to think anymore. And so then people vote with their emotional anger. So we need to go back to the states and go back to our local community and say, okay, instead of expecting senators and congressmen to do something about this, we need to go to our local county commission and say, excuse me, what are you doing to fund county commissioners to fund our local sheriff uh, and his ability to fight human trafficking? Local sheriff is an elected official in every county in the United States, I believe. So Look, Sheriff, what are you doing to fight human trafficking? And if you don't start doing something, we're going to vote you out and put somebody in who will. And then we go to our city councilors and we say, hey, what are you doing to fund our local city police and their ability to fight human trafficking? And then we go to our state. And then if we've accomplished all of those things, then we can go to the federal government. But the reality is that we wouldn't actually need the federal government to do anything if we would just start activating our local communities. And this is under the impression or understanding that the local political level, our voices will be received and heard because there might be, again, I'm with you. I haven't had cable in a very long time. I don't watch the news. I'm not consuming all the agendas the, <laughs> that are mm -hmm. put into our minds. Someone else is creating the narratives there. So I choose not to feed my mind a lot of this stuff, but there is more now than ever before, this jaded belief that even if a politician is in place, they're still pushing a narrative. Even if the people want something, somebody else that's paying them more mm -hmm. than the taxpayers yes. to push an agenda, they're going to follow that. So therefore, my voice is not as valuable as it once was. I want to phrase that in a question. I don't think it was. I think it was an opinion. But if there was a question in there, and if that was the truth, then how can we still fight this without going through 
a politician or trying to figure out how much money the local city is funding for the sheriffs or the local police department? Or am I completely not correct in that opinion that we don't matter? Mike, your voices do matter on the local level. It's not that way. I don't know. What would you say to so, that? I think at the local level, your voices very much matter. I think it's like saying that your voice doesn't matter inside your home. My guess is in your home, there's only two voices that really matter, right? And one of them is louder at different times. And then in your neighborhood, let's say you live in a neighborhood that has a neighborhood association. Well, chances are your voice matters in your neighborhood association. And then your city or your county, right? And then maybe eventually your state. So it could be that, yes, your voice doesn't really matter in, say, your state politics. And I actually don't think it really does matter in the federal side. It's not that your vote doesn't matter, but if anybody thinks that my congressmen and senators give a flying crap about what I think, let's just say um, pretty grandiose to, to believe that. So we have to start local. And ultimately, if you have, let's say your child does go missing, who are you going to call? Not the FBI. You're going to call 911. And that dispatcher is going to put you in touch with your local police or your local county sheriff's office. So it's all going to start local, right? If you look at how the EMS system works, we don't have a federal EMS system. It's not FEMA is printed on the side of your local ambulance or your local fire department or your local law enforcement officers. It's the name of your city or the name of your county on the side of those cars. So it's all local. And if I can be successful at anything, I would like to be successful at having everybody start to realize that they need to start focusing locally when it comes to the fight against human trafficking. And that, that probably actually applies to many other things as well. But since we're just talking about human trafficking, you've got to focus locally because what your police do, what your county sheriff does matters to you. So up here in Montana, what my county sheriff doesn't matter to you. What the FBI officers in Montana don't matter to you, but what your county sheriff does matters to you. And that's why everybody's got to start locally. And when we look at law enforcement, I just want to take a second to defend the law enforcement officers that are that are out there doing what is probably some of the nastiest work in our country every single day, especially after coming off this whole defund the police movement. The, the data is very clear that doesn't work. We don't need to defund the police. We need to refund the police. But at the same time, we need to increase the standard to be police. So there's many different things here that are all true at once. We need to give law enforcement the tools and the technologies that they need in order to drive change. I used to live in New Mexico and I was friends with this kind of older law enforcement officer who was in charge of training. They had just converted over to iPhones. This was a few years ago. And this law enforcement officer looked at the phone and he's, can I use this to call my wife? And they were like, yeah. And he's okay. So they literally just handed him a pocket-sized computer that could do so many things to make training that much better for law enforcement officers. And the only thing he was concerned with was whether or not he could call his wife and then they were just going to stick with the same old punch and holes and in cardboard targets and not actually innovate and not get better. And I think that when we look at law enforcement, the reason that happens is because we're not properly funding them. Every single person in the country wants really good law enforcement officers. When you call 911 because somebody's breaking into your house in the middle of the night and that person is armed, you want the meanest, baddest, best, most high-performing, hyper-cognitive law enforcement officer you can get to show up to your door to protect you and your family. That requires money. 
and it requires time. And you cannot create those law enforcement officers just on a whim. It takes again, money and time in order to create that law enforcement officer. And so we as a society need to be willing to invest in our law enforcement departments. Uh, But that also means that when we do pay those taxes, we need to hold our county commissioners and we need to hold our city councilors responsible for then taking that money and investing it in our law enforcement departments to keep our communities safe. And that's where our voices come in, is in going to those politicians and going to them and saying, hey, what are you doing? And I always recommend everybody who knows a politician conduct this very experiment. Without saying anything else, just ask the politician about human trafficking and their thoughts on it. And every single one will, you know, be lots of wringing of hands and mashing of teeth and saying, oh, it's the most important thing. And it's my number one priority and all that stuff. And then when they get done saying all that, say these words. That's awesome to hear. Would you please show me the budget line item that funds the fight against human trafficking within our local police? And that's when the blood will drain from their face and they'll suddenly get very nervous and they will go, oh, we actually just push those over the FBI. Why? Why are you not handling it? Because they probably have a gangs task force that's fully funded. They probably have a property crimes task force that's fully funded. They probably have a narcotics task force that's fully funded. So you're telling us, based on where you're putting funding, that fighting illicit narcotics and illicit firearms and property crime is and gangs is more important than fighting the exploitation of children. Because if they're not properly funding the units, then they don't actually care. And so what will make them care? That's where our voices come in. Nick, the two two immediate things that came up for me, I had this conversation with someone recently that I don't know how much law enforcement officers make earn per year, but mm-hmm. I know it's not like super high. It's not like a high paying Very career. Well. It's very low for the liability and risk that they take on. And then same thing with educators, like teachers, with Mm -hmm. the amount of money that they make per year. And obviously, they're not the first line of defense. uh, We're not going to call them if someone's robbing our house. But if we just look at how much money these individuals are earning as a salary, more than likely, when someone graduates from high school and they go into their careers, oftentimes, we look at what are the uh, doctors make a lot of money, go be a doctor. Lawyers make a lot of money, let's go be a lawyer. Oh, but uh, journalists, they make a little bit of money. Teachers, they make a little bit of money. Police officers make a little bit of money. What type of talent are those industries and those career professions going to attract potentially? Mm -hmm. You're a mm-hmm. Harvard grad, man. You have, assuming, if, you're, if someone's a Harvard grad, they're going to have a decent amount of debt, presumably. If someone graduates sure. from an institution, they have presumably a decent amount of debt to go into a low-paying job with a large amount of debt. It's very Doesn't tough work. to attract that high talent and then retain that talent. So that's a part of where this second thought comes into play, where in, in addition to the taxpayers' dollars funding these individuals and however much money they get... My entrepreneurship mind goes to, this is the business owner's responsibility. A a local business owner is, they have their version of a responsibility to grow their business so large that the overflow of their local business can then take dollars out and put those dollars towards causes that they're passionate about. And if that cause that they're passionate about is human trafficking, then they could take those dollars and put those dollars to work without being reliable on 
taxpayers' dollars or the wage gaps or whoever's determined the wages. So obviously, a lot of business owners listen to the show. So my mind immediately went to, if this is something that's really passionate for you as a business owner, how could you do your part? Yes, make your voice heard, but can you grow your business? Say if you want to grow your business to seven figures, can you grow an extra million dollars and take the profits 15% of those extra profits by growing your business even more and dump that 15% towards a passion that you feel called to serve. What would you say to this little inspirational rant that you just created inside of me? Will it create the absolute change? If I ask this police officer, you know, this local politician say, show me the budget line item for the funding police. They're like, I have all these excuses. It's great. Does that create the change? But if I run a business and I can dump couple hundred thousand dollars to my local police and fund it myself, Mm -hmm. that could potentially actually create some change, right? Again, I'm not an expert in any of this. And that's why I want to speak an opinion while also posing a question as best as possible. I actually don't think we need business. So businesses should be giving their money philanthropically for sure, at least a little bit, right? That is doing well and looking at just buying another boat and is not also giving philanthropically, like that just says a lot about the character of the individual. What I most of, so Deliver Fund, we're a nonprofit. We're completely, for the most part, funded by private philanthropy. And that goes, that's everything from the $5 a month Instagram donation all the way to some very generous, very wealthy people doing a half a million dollars. And so I think that's where philanthropy comes in when it comes to our government and our tax dollars. It's just not wasting them. We just expect at this point our government to waste our tax dollars. When you look at the things that our government does spend money on and the sheer bloat in the bureaucracy that has happened, I, again, I did as many combat tours as I did because the units I was part of in the Air Force and then after that at the CIA were completely undermanned. Yet we had all of these people at CIA headquarters and all of these people in the Air Force who, quite frankly, I couldn't tell you what good they were actually doing. It was lots of pushing paperwork. It wasn't actually doing anything. So that's why I just think that we as taxpayers need to have a lot more scrutiny on our government and the sheer bureaucratic bloat of what happens with spending money in the government. When you're in the government, you're not incentivized to reduce your spending. You're always incentivized to spend more. In fact, budgets are actually created by overspending so that if you end up in a position where your unit doesn't overspend their budget, then the next year they'll actually get less money. The incentives in the government are completely misaligned with the incentives in business. I I wouldn't want business owners giving a couple hundred thousand dollars to the local police department until we actually changed the government and we changed these people who are running these things and they actually start looking at a P&L like a business person instead of looking at it as if, oh, I can just go to the money tree, aka the taxpayers, and just shake them down for more money. Uh, We have plenty of money in the government system. We just have to start using it more wisely. 
It's mm, a great response. That's why I ask, and I, I appreciate that, Nick. I know you mentioned the Air Force. Uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. CIA. What is the background there as far as sure. what you've done? And just speak to that, because obviously here in our podcast, we've had several military and veterans and individuals who've served our country. And I want to say on behalf of our audience, we appreciate your service. And I'd love to at least have you share a little bit about that. Sure. So I started in the uh, United States Air Force in the Air Force Pararescue Teams. For people who have never heard of that, it's the Air Force's ground special operations component. It's one of, at the time, too. Now, everything is special operations. I don't even know what is special operations anymore. But at the time, there was two. It was Air Force and Pararescue and Combat Control. Those were the two most highly selective uh, career fields in the Air Force. And I had the privilege of being an Air Force Pararescueman. Then I was recruited into the Central Intelligence Agency. And I spent a number of years there in a very small kinetic-based unit that facilitated the accomplishment of intelligence operations in high-threat areas. So if you're familiar with, say, the 13 hours story in Benghazi, that was that was my unit. Obviously, a lot of what we actually do was not told in that story because the guys don't want to be giving any classified information. But that's I got the privilege of working there for a number of years. Great place. When I see people talk about all these government agendas and all these things, I worked at the highest level of the Central Intelligence Agency. It was literally on the on the quick reaction force for the Osama bin Laden raid with a bunch of other SEAL Team Six guys. When it comes to presidential level visibility and what happens in the government and all that, it doesn't get any higher than that. So you have all these internet trolls talking about all these things that from their mom's basement and their barbecue stained wife beaters, but they don't actually have any experience in working in these actual environments. They've never seen the president of the United States on the other side of a video teleconference asking, quite frankly, not very smart questions about operations that were being conducted in pick a country. I had the privilege of being in those positions. And so that's how I know for a fact that do people in the government have agendas? Of course they do because they're human beings. But is there some big grand cabal that's pulling the marionette strings behind the curtains Absolutely not. And anytime I hear those kinds of conspiracy theories coming out, I just know that, okay, this is somebody who literally has no experience in doing any of this kind of stuff. Your government's just not that good. People... We did a raid and a capture on a guy named Libby in conjunction with some some folks from special mission unit. And that was leaked literally hours after we did it. To think that the government is capable of keeping these crazy secrets, it's just not true. The guys who went on the Bin Laden raid literally had books written about it within a couple of weeks of the raid. Nobody really stays quiet anymore about the things that happen in the government. So yes, individual politicians all have agendas, but that's also why we elected them, is we elected them hopefully if the politician we elected or we voted for got elected, then they're going to carry out the agenda that they said that they would. And that's why we elected them. So there's always going to be these opposing agendas. And I think that's very important to keep some amount of homeostasis within our society and within our government and to make sure that the government moves extremely slow. The last thing we want our federal government doing is moving quickly because that is a road that ends in tyranny. We want to make sure that our federal government moves really slow and only ever really accomplishes the thing that it has to accomplish. And everything else 
is accomplished and driven to the local level. I get curious, how do you go from all this experience that you have overseas with everything you've seen, central intelligence, to going a founder of two multi-million dollar tech companies to now Deliver Fund, which is a nonprofit to help fight child predators. What was that, this transition? And then I'd love for you to hear a little bit more about Deliver Fund and what it does and how our listeners can get involved if they wanted to. I was actually in Lashkarga, Afghanistan, doing a thing with a guy in a place, right? And we came across what I like to call smoking gun intel on a human trafficker. And when the JSOC com- counterpart that I was working with, when he went to go write it up in a report to send it to station, it didn't really go anywhere. One of the first questions was, what was the routing code for human trafficking? Because when you write up intelligence, it's not magic. It doesn't just show up places. There's routing codes very similar to like your bank routing code, right? That's a great way to think about it, right? If I go to transfer a dollar to you, that doesn't just magically happen. There's, I have to give banks information and payment platforms information in order to make sure it ends up to you and not somebody else. It's the same thing with intelligence. You need to make sure that intelligence ends up at the right desk, so to speak, right in front of the right analysts and gets brought to the attention of the right analysts. And so we're looking for the code for human trafficking and child trafficking specifically and couldn't really find anything. And that just made me very curious. I feel like God had been preparing me for a long time for this moment because I'd always been interested in the issue and I'd taken some classes on it and that kind of made me even more interested. And then this really made me go, wait a minute, here I am part of the most powerful intelligence agency the world has ever seen. I have access, I have the highest security clearance you can possibly get. I have access to kind of everything in the government. And so I just started poking around trying to figure out, surely there's a version of me somewhere that's doing something about this human trafficking issue. And what I found was just tons of silos, right? You had Homeland Security doing a little bit and the DOJ doing a little bit, and then 18,000 local jurisdictions across the United States and on the law enforcement side. And about a third of those were doing something. And The UN would talk about it, but nothing really ever got done. And Interpol had a little bit of things going on, but nothing really ever got done. And so that just made me start reaching out to people because all I knew were intelligence operatives and special operators. And, And I tried to find just one person who had done a counter human trafficking operation or had had a target package that was a human trafficker. And I couldn't find even a single one. The closest thing I got was a former CIA analyst who had been assigned to an office under the Secretary of Defense under George W. Bush. And she said that they were doing research around the human trafficking issue. That was the closest I got. And then that's when I started looking through, again, congressional budgets and seeing like what was going where. And I found lots of, not even a lot of money, really. I found about $22 million that was going towards victim restoration and human trafficking hotlines and things like that. And that's all very important. We need to continue that work. But there wasn't anybody actually going after the human trafficker. And that was really a fork in the road for me because... What I'm a big economics nerd, and I have a, a real interest in illicit commodity markets. And I realized that human beings who are being sold on an illicit commodity market, we call that human trafficking. But mathematically and academically, they're no different than a kilo of cocaine or an illegal gun. So why were we fighting human trafficking? And I use 
quotes here and fighting human trafficking in a way that was completely different than we are fighting any other illicit commodity. And, and terrorism is actually an illicit commodity market. I think a lot of people don't realize that because they focus on the guy who blows himself up in a marketplace. But there's an entire chain of events that has to happen in order for that guy to be able to blow himself up in the marketplace. And so when I started looking at the human trafficking issue, I thought, well, wait a minute, I have the skills, I have the knowledge, I have the networks, everything that you need to start countering human trafficking all I have to do is fund it and deliver fund was born. This is pretty fascinating because there's several people that I'm sure listening to this can say, if I was running these successful companies and if I was already involved in something and I saw this opportunity, I would probably just say, wow, there's an opportunity there but not take it on myself to make it a responsibility of my own to go solve that problem or to go investigate that opportunity. And then also take it a step further to also find resolution and resolve from that opportunity to create the positive change that you want to see. Really, kudos to you, Nick, for taking it, seeing it and running with it. And now, what is it that Deliver Fund is actually doing in, for the marketplace and for us humans and civilians right now? So what we do is we build technology and we equip, train and advise everybody for the fight against human trafficking and come early 2024, that's going to go to a whole new level. So if you're interested in that, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the various platforms, which I'm sure will be in the show notes. But you can imagine anybody who hears about human trafficking wants to get involved. How do you do that? And so what I wanted to do was take the counterterrorism methodologies around the training of indigenous forces, which is what we primarily, a lot of what we do overseas, and a lot of what the military does overseas is, right, you train, you equip, train, and advise other people to go after your enemies, and then you help them go after your enemies. We want to do the same thing. It's just in this case, the indigenous people are law enforcement, industry partners, and quite frankly, parents, and then the equip training and advising is primarily instead of guns and drones and, and bullets and bombs, it's now cyber, it's tech. So a great example of that is we have one of the largest human trafficking adjacent databases. So that's data that is potentially human trafficking activity, the largest ones on the planet. Billions of points of interest at this point, probably tens of billions of data points. And okay, well, we have all this data. So what? How do you make that actually useful? And so we clean that data, we deduplicate that data, and then we provide it to the people who need it. So no amount of Nick McKinley doing things is going to get to the bottom of human trafficking at the scale of the problem. However, if I can empower you and I can empower your county sheriff and I can empower your local companies, I can empower your banks and I can actually disrupt the human trafficking market at every point of transaction, now we're gonna make some real progress in moving the needle against the problem. So we build technology, we provide training through our, our website, through computer-based training. We also provide in-person training to industry partners, right, healthcare systems and law enforcement. And then we provide data as well. So we take that whole package of what it takes to fight an illicit commodity market. 
we have tailored that towards the fight against human trafficking. And then we're providing it to everybody to empower everybody to get involved in the fight against human trafficking. So on the cases of the parents, you know, we have an app on the app store. If you just go, it's called HT Safeguard, Human Trafficking Safeguard, or if you just search Deliver Fund on the Apple Store or Google Play Store, you'll see the app. And what that does is you can put a phone number and email address in it. And then that app will tell you if there's a connection between that phone number and email address and a commercial sex advertisement of which the major majority are human trafficking adjacent. If you're a 16-year-old girl and somebody slides into your DMs on Instagram and starts talking to you and then wants to off-platform you and says, hey, hit me up on this number on, I don't know, WhatsApp, Signal, whatever the kids are on these days. And then you run that phone number through our app and you find out that, oh, wait, that phone number is attached to over 200 commercial sex advertisements on five different websites. You've got a problem. That's a big red flag that you should no longer communicate with that person until you can do some more due diligence or just not take the risk at all and not communicate with them. So that's empowering parents. We empower uh, industry partners like Airbnb and some very big household names with data uh, and actually providing them with data so that these companies can screen human traffickers out of their platform, banks, insurance companies, and the like. And then we do the same thing for law enforcement. Now, our charitable mission is we provide all of that to law enforcement for free. So we just had a whole conversation around how law enforcement is overworked and underfunded. So it wouldn't make sense for us to have a for-profit company that makes these incredible tools that law enforcement couldn't afford. So we give the training and the equipping and the advising, which advising is just a fancy word for intelligence, that we give to law enforcement on human traffickers. We give that to them uh, for free. We absorb all of that cost. Remarkable, Nick. I went out of order here because I was just so interested. But we ask every guest three questions, and I want to ask you these questions and because we always ask them, and then we part ways. I really appreciate your time here. And the first question that we ask every guest is, what do you think the world needs most today? Empathy. We need people to actually try to see opinions from other people's point of view and try to find some common ground. I've got an example. I've got two family members who see the world through, let's just say, a very different lens, right? One is a staunch oil and gas guy, and the other is a staunch, we need to basically deindustrialize the whole of United States green guy. And they'll fight about everything and finally pointed out to him once that they had a lot in common. One wanted to get away from oil, and the other really cares about national security. They said, hey, maybe we should stop buying oil from companies that hate us and invest in energy technology so that we don't have to buy the oil from the countries that hate us anymore. That then helps solve this guy's problem. So you guys actually both want the same thing, just for very different reasons. So who cares yeah. about the reason why? Focus on what you have in common. And I think if we did that more as a country, and if every person, if we just tried to find what we had in common and focus on that, instead of trying to find where we're different, and then exploiting that and getting people all emotional and getting them all riled up, we would have a much better society. Thanks, Nick. The, the second question we ask is, what are one to three books you think people should read? First book every person should read is the Bible. That's the first. The second, I think a book that should be 
mandatory reading and we should actually teach classes on in high school is by Covey called Necessary Endings. The title of the book explains what it's about. There are endings that are necessary. And if we would just embrace them and make them happen, then we could save ourselves a whole lot of heartache and headache. Another, and it's not a book, it's really a topic, at least try to understand at a very rudimentary level is physics. Uh, Because if you can understand physics and you can understand the logic behind physics, then that just makes you a much better thinker and problem solver. And for the entrepreneurs out there, it'll make you a much better entrepreneur. Great. A couple new ones there. So thank you for that. And uh, third question, Nick, final question. What does it mean to you to be better than rich? Mm. I think it depends on how you define rich. Since you gave me the floor on this, to me, that means that you have the freedom and liberty to do what is most important to you at the point in life that you're at. So for me, what that meant when I was a 24-year-old Air Force pararescueman is very different than what that means to me as a 46-year-old father of two. That's great. Nick, truly grateful. I know we already talked about where people can hang out with you and find you offline, but if we could capture that one more time, where could people go to learn more about Deliver Fund or just stay in touch with you? So to learn more about Deliver Fund, the best place is deliverfund.org. That's D-E-L-I-V-E-R-F-U-N-D.org. You can learn more about me at Nick, N-I-C, McKinley, M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y.com. And you can find me at the Nick McKinley or at Deliver Fund on all of the social platforms. Uh, However, LinkedIn and Instagram are the only two I pay attention to. Nick, truly grateful for the work that you're doing and really appreciate your time today. And listener, obviously, we always appreciate you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us talk about topics that are important, that we deem important, at least. So thanks for being here. And as what we do at Better Than Rich, we provide virtual assistant services that are informed by AI to help you win back time. So if you wanted to pursue a passion project or spend more time in your local city or your community creating positive change, get some of your time back by bringing on a team of virtual assistants to do some of the time draining and energy draining tasks. You can get more information about that at va.betterthanrich.com. And uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you if that's something that's important to you. Listener, thank you again. And assuming this episode helped you, share it with a friend. Until next time, as always, leave today better than you found it. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the better than rich show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.